man who was trying to take this painting of Jesus. And in taking this painting of Jesus, he wanted to bring it into his home. And so the painting was so big that it would not fit into his home. So he went and got these engineers and they tried all these different avenues, all these different ways to try to get the painting to fit into his home. Finally, the engineers came to him and said, listen, we've looked at every angle. We've covered every possible way of looking at this. We just don't see how this can happen. What you're going to have to do is to rebuild your house around this painting. And he thought about it. And as he thought about it, it's the reality of you and I as well. We are trying to fit Jesus into our lives. But he's calling us to build our lives around him. And one of the realities that we have in order to do that is the word of God. And I want us to turn in your Bibles, if you would, to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 for a moment. As we look at 2 Timothy 3, 16, I want you to begin to process with me just a little context here. Here is Paul talking to Timothy, and he's encouraging Timothy to stick with it, stay at it, stay on it. He's encouraging Timothy, don't fall short. There are people who will come and who longer wants to hear the word of God. They, they want their ears tickled. They, they want to have this idea of church, but I call it the cotton candy type church. I don't know if you've ever been to a cotton candy type church. It's all sugar and, and, and nothing of substance. It's, it's all gravy and no meat. And Paul is encouraging Timothy, I need you to stick with it, stay at it, stay on it. But here is how I need you to do that. I need you to do that by understanding what the word of God was meant to do. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, around verse 16, he gives us the foundation for the reality of the word. He says in 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by God and profitable. And he lays out these particulars for us, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be equipped for every good work. Now, I want to hone in on verse 16 this morning. I want us to Look at this from different angles, and as we look at it from different angles, I want you to begin to think about specifically how this applies to our lives, not just the overall reality of the Word of God, but what this verse unpacks for you and I and the practicalities that can come from it. Consider these four things again. He says all Scripture is inspired, God-breathed, if you willed and profitable, and he has a particular order. And I want you to pay close attention to this order because the Spirit of God didn't just haphazardly make these words come out for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. The Word of God has the power, if you will, to give you insight. The Word of God has the power, if you will, to convict you of the things that are wrong. The Word of God has the power, if you will, to guide you to correct the things that are wrong in your life. The Word of God has the power to train you in what to do. I like the way some of my friends put it. It um, shows you how to get right, convicts you of where you're wrong, tells you how to stop messing up and how to move on. I'm like, I like that kind of talk. Simple reality. But there's something that I want you to see about this order in this passage that's important for us because 
is not just telling us about the Word of God. It's also showing us how people grow and change. Now, this is important because, yes, this passage we've heard and heard a million times and we could probably quote it, but I need you to see there's an element of insight here that if we hold on to it, it changes the reality of how we relate to one another. It changes the reality of how much we appreciate the word of God. It really puts us at a level of saying, Lord, your word is powerful, but man, you've showed us a reality through your word I didn't ever see before. Not only do we see that the word of God is profitable for these things, this order is also showing us the way of spiritual development. This order is also showing us how people change. Notice these words again, and I'm going to keep throwing them at you because I want you to walk away thinking about this, and then we will see the reality of the practicalities that come from this. The word of God is profitable. Notice the order in any growth, in any spiritual development, there must first be teaching. There can be no change without insight. And so the word of God gives us the insight, the truth into these areas of how to think, the truth into these areas of how to live, how to relate, how to serve. The word of God gives us everything we need to see God's standards for life, the guidelines, the guardrails, the way that we are to function. But what I like about this spiritual reality is that first comes the teaching, but then there has to be what we call conviction. So notice it says in the passage... The word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof. That's conviction. What do we mean by conviction? I'm not saying that you see reality and feel sad. That's not conviction. Conviction is I see the truth. And I see where I stand in light of the truth. And now my soul is broken and I want to make things right. It's like, if you will, my wife and I, we, we were on this trip and we were doing missions in Jordan. And as we were in Jordan in the missions trip, we noticed that there was a mall and we just wanted to go see the mall. What was it like in Jordan? So we're hanging out. We didn't realize just how much the American culture had impacted. So we were there and there was Popeyes and McDonald's. I'm saying, I can't believe I'm at Popeyes here in Jordan. This is crazy, right? So then we moved through and I said, hey, there's a Nike store. Honey, I want to get some Nike shoes. She says, why do you want Nike shoes? I said, because we're in Jordan. I use any excuse I can to get some tennis shoes, right? <laughs> so we go and we go to the map. And the map says, and I want you to fill in the blanks, you are here. Now, what's fascinating about that, I want you to think with me for a moment. The map said you are here. So in order to get to where we needed to go, we needed to accept that the map was telling us the right thing. You are. What if we would have disagreed with the map? What if we would have said, I don't agree that I'm here and I think this map is bogus and I reject this reality. Could we have really gotten where we needed to get to? See, the word of God not only says this is truth. But it also says, and this is where you are. You are here. Many people struggle because they may see reality, but they're not broken by what they see. It takes the word of God to not only bring you to a place of reality, this is what he says about these things. The word of God is powerful enough 
to break you, to move you from this is what it says and this is who you are. What I love about this passage, it just doesn't tell you what God's word says. It shows you the process of how change happens. It shows you how God is working in our life through the word. He must first give us insight through that word and that same word must also break us. It must show us a mirror of who we are so that as we see this is what he says, this is who you are. And where there is true reproof, then the scripture says reproof, correction. You won't correct anything in your life if you're not broken over anything in your life. And you won't be broken over anything in your life if you don't first see the reality through the word of God. See, what I like about this passage, it just doesn't tell us that the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and training in righteousness. It shows us the process of how we change. Where there is teaching, there should be a reality check. Where there's a reality check, the word of God will bring you to a place of brokenness, which is what we would call a remorse, a grief, if you will, a godly sorrow. And where there's godly sorrow, there should be motivation to begin to correct the things that are wrong in your life. Correction. And then it says for training in righteousness. Just notice that progression and look at your life. If there's been any change in your life, you follow that progression. You heard the word of God. And you said, this is reality. The spirit of God used the word to help you to see clearly, here is truth. But from that truth, the word of God, the power of the spirit through the word of God said, now this is where you stand in light of this reality. And that brought a sense of brokenness. And when that brokenness happened and it was real, you went from I'm wrong to what must I do to make it right? By the word of God, you start to make corrections. And through that correction, you wanted to put on the new way of living. Now, you can tell when people are not broken because they say things like this. I wish my wife was here. She needed to hear that. Boy, my husband, that was some good insight. They needed this. And I've had people after sermons go, Pastor, that was a good word. I wish my friends were here. You know, they've just said, I see the truth. But guess what they don't see? themselves. That tells me that where they are with the word of God, the word of God has just now given them insight, but they've not yet moved from the insight of the word of God to the reality of where they stand in light of the word. They may see reality, but they don't see themselves. So therefore, there's some more work of the spirit through the word of God in that person's life. The word of God is profitable to take us through the process of change. There must be truth given. There must be brokenness over that truth. Then you make corrections and you trade in what's right. Look at every area of your life where there's been real change and you see that 2 Timothy 3.16 has been unfolded for you. Now with that in mind, I want to walk you through that. As you look at your notes, letter H shows us that 2 Timothy 3.16 is laying out for us six phases of change. So as we find ourselves in 2 Timothy, looking at what God has given us through the word, which again is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness, that same word is exposing the reality of how we change. If there's going to be change in your life through the word of God, it starts with realization. What is realization? One comes to see the truth and understand how that applies to their life. 
where there's realization, the next part of the process of change is what we call remorse. One comes to feel godly sorrow in relation to their sin and desire to make things right with God and others accordingly. Where there's true realization and true remorse, one will renounce. What do I mean by renounce? They come to confess their sin to God and others when appropriate. And where there's true renouncing, there will be a repenting. One will come to turn away from their sin towards God and others. And when there's true renouncing and repenting, we'll see the renewing of one's mind, wanting to learn this new way of living, this new way of thinking, which will then lead to genuine replacement of your sin. When you look at your life, where there has been true change in your life, you follow this process. You realized you were remorsing, you renounced, you repented, you renewed your mind, and you begin to replace with that new way of living. You not only unfolded the power of the word of God, you showed the reality of what spiritual development looks like. But here's another secret to this. Where you're not changing, you show the world exactly where you are. See, some of you, you've heard truth, but you haven't been broken over what you've heard. So you intellectually understand, but there's been no brokenness, and therefore there could be no change until the Spirit, through the Word of God, begins to show you yourself at a level different than what you know. You understand the insight, but you're not broken over what you understand. You believe it's great for everybody else but you. So there's no change in your life, but man, you can articulate it, you can pontificate it, you can preach it, you're all excited about it, and you're excited for what it can do for everybody else. But you've not yet come to a place of brokenness. See, the word of God is powerful, but it also exposes where you are. There are many things in your life right now where you know truth, but you don't know yourself in relation with the truth. And when that happens, you miss that point that realization must be built on remorse. There must be a brokenness, a reality that says, let me see if I can put it to you this way. I see the truth. I intellectually understand the truth, but now I see myself in light of this truth. That takes the power of God. That takes the word of God. But that's the process of how we change. Now, if we flip this, I want to simplify those six R's and show you that all of that comes back to what we would call stages of growth or phases of change. And if you look at your notes, looking at letter I, <clears throat> we can see that all of these things can be summarized down to four realities. And what I'm trying to unpack for you in this point is that the word of God is not only exposing us how powerful it is, it shows us the process of change. So consider this, when the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, not only do we see these phases, again, we can numb that down or narrow it down to stages. All of us, where we have truly changed, it started with the teaching stage. What do I mean by that? The Holy Spirit began to convict you. You heard that passage or you heard that preached a million times, but that particular day, it started to ring true to you. Where there was a teaching, then you again begin to move into what we call conviction. And where there's teaching, there's realization. Where there is conviction, there's realization and remorse. And let me just help you understand the difference between pity parties and remorse. 
Because many people feel sad about their sins, but they just feel sad because they got caught. They feel sad because they're embarrassed. They feel sad because something happened. They feel sad because of the consequences. We're not talking about pity parties. We're talking about, I see the truth, I see myself, and I'm broken over the distances put between me and God. I'm broken over the damages caused in the lives of others. I don't want to be this way. I want to live with God the right way. It's the 2 Corinthians chapter 10 or 2 Corinthians 7, 10 through 11, where it says worldly sorrow produces regret. But worldly sorrow or godly sorrow produces salvation without which there's no regret. See, when you're you're truly broken, you're not having a pity party. You're ready to make things right. Can I put it to you this way? You're not making excuses. You're making confessions. You're owning up. Pity parties, you're still in the yeah, but phase, as we talked about before. You know the yeah, but Christian. Remember, we talked about that. For those that were just joining us, let me explain what a yeah, but Christian is. You tell them truth, and then they say what? You give them more insight, and they say? You tell them more insight, and they say? That's a yeah, but Christian. When you are truly broken in conviction, you're not a yeah, but Christian. You're not blaming people. You're not blaming your past. You're not blaming your parents. You're not blaming problems. You're not blaming the pressures. You're not blaming pain. You are saying, it is me. I have failed before God. I'm owning up, and I'm ready for God to make the changes in my life. That's godly sorrow. That's what conviction is. We're not talking about open. Now what am I going to do? Yeah, I was wrong, but you don't understand. Yeah, I was wrong. No, 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 no. Conviction says I'm ready for change. That's when you see realization. That's when you see remorse. But where there's true conviction, then there'll be correction. And what do I mean by correction? You own up now. You're ready to do the right thing. You're ready to put off those things that are making it hard to live, to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. You're doing what is necessary. You're doing what is appropriate to make it hard to go back to the sin. You're making walls that are too high to get over, too low to get under, and too wide to get around because you don't want to go backwards. That's the correction. And why are you doing that? Because you want to move forward now in whatever God wants you to think, whatever God wants you to feel, whatever God wants you to desire. You are moving forward in life. That is 2 Timothy 3.16. The word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. It gives you the ability to see reality. It gives you the ability to be broken over what you see. It moves you into the way and the right of correcting. It moves you into the training in what's right. And for many of you, if we were to sit down and do some real counseling, I would know where you are in the phases and stages of life with the issues of life. You would say to me, my wife. Well, I already know then you're not ready to own up. It's your wife's fault. My husband. And when you give me a detailed analysis of how bad that person is, what you're telling me is my life is this bad because of this person. My life is this bad because if they would just stop or if they would just stop, then I could do blank. Well, that's a lie from the pit of hell. Because no one has the power to give you to choose or not choose. You choose out of the condition of your heart, not the context of life around you. The context of life around you is like a tea bag. Can I tell you what a tea bag does? How many of you drink tea? Any tea drinkers in the room? 
When you put a tea bag in the water, it doesn't matter what flavor it is, the water brings out what's already in the tea bag. The water never determines the tea bag, the water only brings it out. People, past, parents, pressures, pains, problems in life, that's the water. You are the tea bag. They're not making you who you are, they're bringing out what's already in you. And the moment you use that as an excuse for your choices, you are denying the reality that your life is based upon the choices you've made, not the context around you. When the word of God gets a hold of your heart, it helps you to see no more excuses. It's you. I understand. And people tell me, but you don't understand. My wife is this way. My children are this way. And I would say to them, what if God wants your husband to stay stupid since you said it? What if God wants your wife to stay stubborn since you said it? What if the problem is not how stupid he is or how stubborn she is? What if it's your attitude towards that which you can't control? And what if the whole issue all this time was to expose you to how your life has been built upon the attitudes and actions of others and not the reality of who God is and what he's trying to expose to you? What if God won't change his stupidity or change her stubbornness until you change your attitude? Because they didn't cause you to be the way you are. They were just exposing it. The word of God gets into the core. It helps you to see these kind of realities so you recognize, ah, I was in the teaching stage all this time. I saw truth, but I didn't see myself. But now I see me in light of the word, and someone has brought it to my life, and I'm broken. Now I want to make corrections and move in what's right. That is the nature of spiritual development. And for many of us, we're looking for formulas to fix life. God is using life to expose us and that we stop looking for formulas and start embracing his reality. Do you realize that the problems around you are more the symptoms to your existence, not the cause of your problems? And that many problems will change when you change your direction and you recognize that life was not meant to be solving problems and making people fit your agenda, but for you to begin to adjust to God and live the way he wants you to live? Now, do you remember all that verse we quoted all the time? You know, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 11, Christ died that those who live might no longer, well, except when you're married and have children, right? Right? Or except when you're single, right? Oh, you mean you're supposed to live for Christ whether you're single, married, or children, or widowed, or... So the moment I reduce life to me and the people around me, have I stopped living for Christ? Yeah, but pastor, you don't understand how blah, 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 blah. Oh, I understand the closer you get to anybody, the clearer you get to see and experience their depravity. That's reality. And guess what? As nasty as you think they are, how bad do you think you might be that you're missing? That scares people. Because when you think it's someone else, you don't realize that the little bit that's in them, I don't know, somewhere in Matthew 7, you know we quote these verses, get the log out of your own eyes, you can clearly see the, you know, we talk it. But if we get real, the things that gripe us the most about others are the very things that we've been ignoring in our lives. And God is using those individuals to bring us to a place of conviction. Because we see truth. 
We can quote the truth, but we don't see ourselves in line with the truth. So what does he do? He'll bring the people, the past, the pressures. He'll put all that in your life to expose you so that you can begin to see what God's word has been trying to say because God will perfect what concerns you. God is going to change you. He's going to work it out. He's going to use everything in your life, but it's never going to go beyond this reality of the scripture and the way he's called us to change. There will always be teaching, then conviction, then correction, then training, and righteousness. There will always be a realization, a remorse, a renouncing, a repenting, a renewing, a replacing. This is the way God has called us to change. And many of us are stuck because we believe the problem is outside of us. And the problem is inside. It takes the word of God for us to walk through this process. Are you with me so far? Am I making sense to you? If we unfold this, then the reality is that you and I need to recognize that this is how the Word of God works. This is how spiritual development happens. This is how we can help anybody. We have to see where they are and then help them move from there. It doesn't help me to help you if you know the truth. And I keep repeating the scripture back to you. The problem is not that you don't know the truth. You don't see yourself in line with the truth. I give an example. A guy comes to me and says, I'm having problems with my wife. Okay, well, all right. So I say to him, hey, brother, have you considered first? Oh, don't tell me. First Peter chapter three, live with your wife in an understanding way. I know that verse. I used to teach that in Bible fellowship. Oh, cute. You know the verse. So you're at realization, but you don't see yourself. I don't tell him that. I say, I'll tell you what, brother, since you know the verse so well, let, let me ask you to do something. I got a homework assignment. I want you to go home. I want you to ask your wife a few questions. Question number one, where have I failed you in the last seven days? Question number two, what word have I not kept that I said I would I didn't do? Question number three, tell me areas where you don't trust me anymore. And, and just go back and ask your wife some of these questions since you know the verse. He goes back, asks his wife those questions. She begins to give him new revelation. <laughs> he didn't realize how disconnected he was from the verse he knew and the life he lived. The Holy Spirit begins to use that. Now there's conviction. He comes back to me and says, man, I did not realize that this is where my wife is. I didn't realize this is where I was. Now, I can tell if he's broken if he goes to the next level. If he says, and you know what, I want to move forward and make this right, he's broken. If it's a pity party, he'll say, yeah, but, but I've been working and, and, and I'm trying to make a living. And, and I'm, okay, you're still having a pity party. You are not yet broken over the reality of where you are. So we got to keep showing you the mirror until the Holy Spirit breaks you through the word. Because you understand the word, but you don't see yourself in line with the word. So let's keep giving you more exercises to help you see the reality through the word of God. But if he's broken... And I say, ah, there is remorse or there is now in the conviction. Either way, I see the word of God working on him as he now sees the reality. I tell him now, go back and I need you to do some things. I need you to own up to your wife where you've fallen short. And I need you to own up before God before we leave. 
And then there's some confession. And then there's confession with his wife. Now we're ready to move into the process of change. Now, let's think about all the things that have been keeping you from being the kind of husband that God wants you to be with your wife. And let's begin the process together. What it's going to take for you to do that? What are the hindrances in your life? Okay, do you need to change your schedule? Do you need to change your job? Do you need to change it? Whatever it is, let's work together and putting that to the side. Now we're into the correction process of this way of change. Now that you've done this correcting, I need us to do some more things here. And as we move into more correcting, I need you to now begin to think about that verse that you know so well. Live with your wife in an understanding way. And now I want you to go back to that verse, and I need you to do something for me. I need you to interview your wife. You say, interview? Absolutely. Act like you don't know anything. Start with a place of just evaluation. I want you to tell me what she eats, what she is like when she's sleeping, what her fears, insecurities. I want you to ask and learn everything. And as a matter of fact, I want you to make at least 30 observations about your wife. And as you make those 30 observations, I want you to be renewing in the word of God. He comes back. He says, you know what? I got that. This is great. Now, let's take those 30 observations and put them into 30 acts of service. What have we done with the word of God? We went from what? Teaching to conviction to correction to training and what's right. My brothers and sisters, that's all biblical counseling is about. It's seeing people where they are. Understanding that it's only by the power of the word of God that there will be any change in their life. But dealing with them where they are, not where we want them to be. I can't make you. It is the power of God that will change you. I am only a facilitator, not a fixer. So therefore, I can only tell you truth, guide you through truth. I can't make you want it. I can't make you live it. I can't make you do anything with it. But as God is working in your heart through it, we can guide you from the beginning through the process of change. What am I saying with you guys? If we take 2 Timothy to light, there's so much that we can do for people. As we've seen the process of change through the realization, remorse, and the teaching, correction, conviction. Let me suggest to you some things that we can teach people through this process. Looking at letter J, we can teach people the gospel. We can teach people what they can and cannot control. We can teach people the two choices of life, either to be God-centered or self-centered. We can teach people about what idolatrous lust is, how you can turn people into idols to satisfy lust. We can talk about the cycle of relationships. We can look at the four levels of relating. We can understand the biblical view of love. We can talk about living by God's purpose. We can look at conflict resolution. We can understand the biblical framework. We can look at what it is when you're having pain to distinguish between that which is physical pain and that which is spiritual pain, we could begin to bring all these things to bear through the word of God as the person is coming to a place of not only understanding, but conviction and ready to make correction and training what's right. As we send them away to kind of do things, if you will, we can give them different types of homework according to where they are. For instance, we can give them a hope homework to help them be encouraged if they're broken. We can give them doctrinal homework if they don't understand the truth to guide them into more teaching. We can give them awareness homework to say, hey, you see truth, but you don't see yourself. I need you to go home and evaluate every time your wife or husband or your children or your boss does this. I want you to write down what you think, say, and do. And 
let's look at that in comparison to what the word of God says. Every song you listen to, I love to do this with teenagers. Let's bring all your favorite songs together and let's write all the words out on the screen of your favorite songs. And let's look at the Ten Commandments. And let's see your favorite songs in the Ten Commandments and where they line up and don't line up. What am I doing? I'm using the word of God. Their life experiences to expose reality and see God work. Embracing God homework. Let's show you how to walk by faith. Let's show you how to walk in the action towards God, action-oriented. Let's look at relational-oriented homework. I can give them, if you will, according to letter H or letter L, scripture reading assignments, literature reading assignments. I can give them, if you will, all these other things, scripture memorization. We can talk about prayer. We can talk about projects, log list of journals. We can look at how they're participating in the church. Are you involved in membership? Are you growing in maturity? Are you trying to magnify the Lord in worship? Are you involved in ministry? Are you involved in missions? See, all of these things become the avenue for biblical counseling when we understand the power of the word of God. It is not you or me that changes people. It is God that changes people through the word, but he uses us as instruments in his hands. But we've got to know the process of change. And God has given it to us when he articulated the power of the word in Timothy. He shows us the process of change. So when we're talking about helping people in counseling, what we're really doing ultimately is helping people as we look at letter M, gain a biblical understanding of God and submit to his will. Gain a biblical understanding of themselves and submit to God's will. Gain a biblical understanding of others and submit to God's will and gain a biblical understanding of life situations. And submit to God's will. But we're doing it through the word of God. One of the things I've learned over the years is that there are going to be all kinds of people that come to us. And what I love to do, and I want to share this with you before we look at the point, is that we as believers have to come to some basic realities about why we grow and change and don't grow and change. And what I've discovered through much research of the scripture and just understanding the practicality that there's something about you and I, and, and please correct me if I'm wrong. If we look at the book of Ephesians, it says in the book of Ephesians that you and I who put their faith in the person and work of Jesus Christ, that we have been sealed by the spirit of God. Is that correct? And that he's a guarantee. So am I talking Bible here? We also know in the word of God that the same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you and within me. Is that correct? If we peruse over to the book of Philippians, it says that we are to work out, not work for, but work out. What does that mean? We're working from something. Work out our salvation in fear and trembling because it is God who is what? At work in us. So is it safe to say that you and I, if we belong to Jesus Christ, we have the power to obey God? Would that be a correct assessment for you and I as saints? So then why are we not obeying God? There's only three reasons. Only three reasons, saint. Please hear me well. I want to share that with you, and we'll look at the notes together. If you are a believer, there's only three reasons why you're not obeying God. And this has saved me so much time as a shepherd, because there's only three. Number one, lack of knowledge. I just didn't know. Okay, boop. Get to work. Lack of skill. I just didn't know how. Okay, boop. Get to work. Here's the one I can't help you with. Lack of will. I just won't. 
That's called stubbornness. Now, let that sink in for a moment. You and I, who have all been blood-bought by Jesus Christ, who's been sealed by the Spirit of God, all of us, that we have the power to obey when there is something in our lives that we have been commanded to do and we don't do it, it's either we don't know, we don't know how, or we will not. And when I'm sitting with a Christian, and I know they're really stubborn, and they're giving me the yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but, I share with them these three things, and I ask a simple question. Is it lack of knowledge? Is it lack of skill? Or is it lack of will as to why you're not doing what God has commanded right now? I'm going to ask you that question. Because there are things right now, the Spirit of God is working on each and every one of you about through this word right now, and there are some things that you know, you know, you're supposed to be doing, but you're blaming the people in your life, you're blaming the past, you're blaming your parents, you're blaming the pressures, you're blaming the problems and the pains, you're saying, but you don't understand how difficult it is, but God does. Did God say obey if or until the pressures and pains and problems and past? Or did God just say obey and give us the power to obey? Which one is it? When you and I are not obeying God, it's only one of those three reasons. And I tell people as a shepherd, I have counsel for two out of three. The third one, I have no counsel because it's above my pay grade. It now becomes the Hebrews 12, whom the Lord loves, he chastens. It becomes the 1 Corinthians 11. Many of you are weak and sick and some of you sleep. It becomes an issue where I can't touch it. And how many of you know people who are strong and wrong? You know what I'm talking about? And they don't mind showing you how strong and wrong they are. You know what I do with those people? Pray and end the conversation because there's nothing more to talk about. Because I can't give you any knowledge. I can't give you any skill. You're just stubborn. There's nothing to talk about. Let me pray for you and pray that God will not have to do what will need to be done. Because if you are his child, you are going to experience some things that you don't want to experience because God has given you everything you need to obey. And where you're not obeying, you can't blame anything other than your heart being stubborn. God has given us a lot, hasn't he? And you and I have to take this reality and say, let me look at my life. I know God has been telling me blank in this area for a long time. I don't know how to do it. Let me have some humility and get some insight for someone to show me how to. I don't know what to do. Let me get someone to give me some insight. Or, you know what? I don't need that. I'm just not. God has been patient with you. But understand his patience will move to something else. Now, why is that important for you and I? In the world, as I am in counseling a lot, I manage my time well. I will not fight and debate with someone who knows what to do and knows how to do it. You got it. I can't wait to go home and watch the game. You got me because I've been wanting to watch the game. I'm here because I want to serve you. But you want to be strong and wrong. You know what? Let's pray right now. Asking my wife to get the meal on the table. Turn it to the channel 13 so I can watch the Texans. I know you guys don't care about the Texans. I understand. <laughs> I forgive you. It's okay. <laughs> but what am I saying? I can't make you grow. I'm not responsible for your growth. That's in the hand of God and the heart of you. But I can guide you through it. True biblical counseling works at these angles because it understands 2 Timothy 3, 16. 
Look with me at letter N for a moment as we move forward in our time together. You're going to discover that as you're counseling anybody, understand that 2 Timothy 3.16, there are four kinds of people you're going to run into all the time. Those who lack knowledge on what to do in the situation. Those who have knowledge but lack skill on how to apply the knowledge to their situation. Those who have knowledge and have skill on how to apply it to their situation, but they refuse to apply it. And then fourthly, those who lack knowledge and skill and don't care. But they've been threatened. Unless you go to counseling, I'm going to leave you. Unless you do this. And so they have no interest. They're not motivated to know him, to become like him, to be useful to him. They're motivated by something else. And so change won't happen. We know that for many of us, if we were to take this to heart, there are some things that God wants you to come clean on right now. And that doesn't mean come clean here. I'm talking about in your prayer closet or before the people in your life that you know you're not doing what needs to happen. And, and please hear me well. It has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with your heart. One of the things that I think about all the time as I work through this with you and as I work through with others When I'm counseling, there's a time, a positive time to let people go, a positive time to say you've done everything you need to do. As we've taken you through 2 Timothy 3.16 and you are understanding, there's been, I see you see the truth. There is now conviction. You've been making corrections and you're training in what's right. It's time for you to go back into your life at your church to do what needs to be done. Let me suggest to you when it's time to release someone in the right way from counseling. Consider this. When the counselor understands the problem from a biblical perspective, when they understand the biblical solutions and they're ready and willing to apply them, that person is ready to be released for change and to move forward. But how do we know that? Because we'll see that there's been realization. We see that there's been remorse. They've renounced. They've repented. They've renewed. They've replaced. Can I tell you a secret? Every time there's real change in your life, it's going to come back to that. I have preached many sermons. I've just changed the way I've said it, but the answer is always the same. Confess, repent, replace. Confess, repent, replace. You say, but I can't do that. Oh, yes, you can. The same power that raised Christ from the dead is within you. But you don't understand my husband. Oh, I understand him. But you understand my wife. Oh, I get it. But they're not the cause of your disobedience. You are. And you have the power. Give me the reason why you're not. And if it's not lack of knowledge, lack of skill, it really comes back to your heart wanting something more for you than what God wants for you. I want to close by giving you a practical thing that uh, from the book of Revelation, when the churches were being challenged by Jesus, Jesus did four things with these particulars. And I want you to think about these four things. And I find it fascinating. Go back when you study the churches in the book of Revelation. There's a counseling model that came out of that that was just spectacular. And I want you to see it when you look at those churches. But let me just kind of summarize what you will see when it's true biblical counseling, taking the model of Jesus and and looking at how he approached those churches. First of all, he would commend them on their submission. 
in certain areas. Then he would console the known suffering in certain areas. Then he would confront their sin. And then he would talk about, again, the sovereignty of the reality of God. He would talk about some form of salvation. He would clarify some form of sanctification. And then he would talk about the reality of return. You and I, we have an opportunity. If we understand 2 Timothy 3.16, we can take all these principles and begin to put them to practice. But please hear me well. We can't fix anybody. We can serve everybody and anybody. But it's at their level, not yours. One of the things I learned very difficultly as a parent is that there are times I wanted more for my children than my children wanted for themselves. And when I wanted more for my children than they wanted for themselves, I kept trying to push on them what I wanted for them, not what they wanted for them, and they kept pushing away from me. And it was not till they wanted what I wanted that anything really could take place. And I had to step back for a while because I was trying to push an agenda that was not being bought. And yes, I could tell you how biblical my agenda was. Yes, I could tell you how right it was. But at the end of the day, I couldn't convince my children's hearts to want what I wanted. And you know why I couldn't? Because I was not the Holy Spirit. And I remember the day that I said to my, my two daughters, I said, you know, I've just been illumined by something. And life is about to change for you guys. And their eyes got big. I said, what I realized all these years is that your choices have been my liabilities. You haven't had to pay for one choice you've made. I've been paying for all of them. And I just realized that's not helping you or loving you at all. So you know what's going to happen now? I'm going to finance your faith. I'm going to finance your education. I will no longer finance your foolishness. You get to pay for that yourself. It was amazing how they start managing money. It was amazing how they start growing up so quickly. I would get a phone call, Daddy, yes. Well, I was in need. Man, how are you going to figure that out? I thought, oh, you thought what? But I, 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 mm, mm, ah, your choices, your liabilities. Let me know how it works out, though. Love you. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> but something happened. When I stopped trying to play God, in my children's lives and let God be God and understanding that reaping and sowing was a powerful principle, it changed my parenting style. But it also changed my pastoring. Changed so many areas of my life because I understood I was in the wrong lane. And many of you, you want more for people sometimes than they want for themselves. But their choices is becoming your liability. And you're not understanding how God's word operates. You're not understanding how process of change works. Teaching, conviction, correction, training in righteousness. You can't force it. You can't make it happen. And the more you try to do for others what God has ordained for them to do for themselves, not only will you be miserable, you might end up in financial ruin. Because think about it. If I keep making dumb decisions and you keep paying for it, you know what I'm going to keep doing? I mean, I get, I don't lose. This is a great thing here. I keep doing dumb stuff. You keep paying for it. Well, I'm going to keep doing dumb stuff. 
until the check runs out. Now, that was for free. That wasn't part of this. That was for free. What point am I making? We have the power, my brothers and sisters. Biblical counseling is just taking 2 Timothy 3.16 and putting it to practice. Now, tonight, I want to take those principles that we've talked about, and I want to expand them to show you how to see the heart of people when they don't see it for themselves. And to help you see that people show you who they are all the time. And when someone says, you can't judge my heart, you can say, I don't have to judge it. It's already on display. And I'm going to show you how people put their hearts on display. Because again, I'm not that smart. The Bible is just that clear. And the more we embrace the Bible, the more we can serve people, not where we want, but wherever God has taken them. Amen? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you. You've given us everything we need for life and godliness. I pray for my brothers and sisters here in this location that you would guide them into teaching as it relates to your word, that they would see the truth, that you bring them to conviction in areas of their lives, that they will be broken over what they see, that you would allow them to walk in correction in areas that you've given them the power to correct. And that by your word, you'd help them to train in what's right. And Lord, as they're doing that in their lives, I pray that you would teach them how to do that in the lives of others for your glory, for their good, and for the devil to be horrified because we stand together in your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Before we sing, I want to ask you to bow your heads again. And we need to do business with the Lord. You individually, me individually before the Lord. So would you please with me just... Before the Lord, you talk with him about what you just heard. And there were clear uh, calls to your heart to see you as God sees you from his word. Where is it that God in these last 50 minutes pricked upon you and said, listen, I've been talking to you about this for a long time. Now it's time to get serious about that. So just take a few seconds and you do work with the Lord, with your soul and him in these quiet moments. Would you do that? Father, you've been so merciful to give us your spirit, to seal us, to entrust to us the the power of salvation through the gospel and sanctification as you work upon us by your word. We are tired of our sin, but apparently in some ways not tired enough to let you be God in those areas and to confess what you've made clear to us, to be broken about them, and then to pursue repentance and change. Lord, thank you for your word laid plain to our hearts today. We ask that you would help us to not leave this place and forget that which we've heard, but to be those who now are changed, who are set on a course of transformation by your grace. Help us as a body to invest in one another where we can help each other with this process of change. Would you show us those avenues and give us those open doors to bless each other in that way? Thank you, Father, for your grace and your kindness upon us. 
would you further your blessing as we go through the day? In Jesus' name, amen. Just a minute, Stuart will come and lead us in our final psalm. Before he does, I just want to invite you back to the rest of the Spring Bible Conference. Uh, you obviously got a strong dose of what you'll hear the rest of the time. So um, I can't imagine anywhere else you'd want to be than here to have your heart encouraged and challenged in that way. Uh, again, 6 o'clock tonight, consider the love offering as well. There will be boxes out tonight for you to contribute to that. Uh, and there are no, new notes for each session. So as you come in, there will be new notes, notes available to you. I forgot to mention earlier that Dr. Ellen's an accomplished author, and we purchased several of his books, but I purchased them too late, so they're coming tomorrow. Um, So they'll be out tomorrow night and Tuesday night. So if you want uh, to purchase a couple of copies of things that he's written on relating to these subjects, that would be helpful to you to continue growing in that way. If you're visiting with us today, it's a great joy to have you. Uh, Maybe you came for the conference because you saw Dr. Ellen was here. That's great. We're so thankful you're here. Uh, If you're just visiting with us and just happen to be here today, we're so glad you're here as well. Hope we get the chance to meet you as we leave. Let's stand together. Stuart will lead us, and then we'll be dismissed. Well, thank you, Doctor, for um, exposing something that really has been a a set uh, behavior since the beginning. I mean, blaming others, right? We're, um, you know, he blamed Eve, Eve blamed the serpent, and it was a pattern that was set in the beginning. And so... We have to, through his power, break that, um, that pattern. And so um, by him taking our life and, and um, consecrating it to him. So if you would join me, 597, we're going to do all except for verse 4.
missed. <laughs>